0: Podcastle, episode 365, for May 26th, 2015. The Newsboy's Last Stand by Crystal Claxton. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is The Newsboy's Last Stand by Crystal Claxton originally published in Unidentified Funny Objects 3. I'm going to reserve my comments on today's story until after you hear it, because it blew my mind. But I can't quite tell you how it blew my mind without perpetrating spoilers. So stay tuned after the break and I will tell you. And then maybe you'll be disappointed because my mind is tiny and easily blown. But whatever, you pay your money and you take your chances. That's the podcastle way of things. Author Crystal Claxton says she was born with a miscalibrated sense of humor, and that, combined with the fact that she lived in nine U.S. states before the age of 13, left her with an oscillating accent and a habit of laughing at things that aren't funny. Her most recent short story, Planar Ghosts, was released in Writers of the Future, volume 31, in early May. And you can keep up with her comings and goings at her website, crystalclaxton.com or on Twitter at Crystal Claxton. The story today is read by Graham Dunlop, PodCastle's fearless co-editor who lives in Melbourne, Australia, is literally Superman and honestly needs no introduction. Enjoy the story.
1: The Newsboys Last Stand by Crystal Claxton. There once was a man who, like any man at the start of a story, was malcontent, unhappy, sad even. Really kind of a sap, and you wouldn't think he'd get a story of his own, but you see, there was also a girl. Now, as you've all heard before, girls make everything better. But that isn't exactly accurate, because girls are not magical. They're really very much like men in that they can be good or bad, but are mostly mediocre. And just as such, this girl was not the only girl. There were many others. But in this story, she made a difference. The girl, Jane was her name, and the man's name was Romulus, and no, those names don't match very well, worked at the flower shop on the corner between the bakery and the cakery, across the street from the newsstand. No, a bakery and a cakery are quite different. Please be silent so I can tell the story. In those days, very few people could read. And so the newsstand wasn't a place where newspapers were stacked, but rather was a stand upon which the newsboy would shout about all of the wonderful or horrid things that had befallen the kingdom. OK, it was actually an autonomous collective. Doesn't kingdom sound nicer? And of course, Romulus was the newsboy. Well, newsman, rather, as he was quite too old to continue being called a boy. But there were no new boys to take the job. The only schoolhouse in the kingdom had closed some years earlier prior due to the ongoing war with the neighbouring kingdom, a self-perpetuating autocracy. In fact, Romulus's newsstand was the last of its kind. And so, as you might have guessed... The news that Romulus read on the rickety, rusting news scaffold on the corner across the street from the flower shop was not very good. The girl, Jane, who was only eight years old here you were thinking she was a woman but if she had been I would have said so would stand outside the shop offering daisies and bluebells which were actually purple to anyone passing by. The roses remained inside as they were much too expensive for an eight-year-old to handle. All day, rain or shine, Jane listened to Romulus shout bad news. Honey shipments from the western shore delayed by enemy contact. Front line of battle moves ever closer. Mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. Until one day when the shop was near to closing and Jane hadn't sold a single flower because honestly the news had been so bad that day and who wants to buy flowers when the kingdom's future is quite so bleak? So she walked across the cobbles to stand beneath Romulus's stand. She held her basket with the daisies in both hands and her face was smudged with soot from when the chimney sweep had brushed past her earlier in the day and her black shoes were scuffed, and her white apron was brown around the corners. But the bow was still tied around her back, and, quite frankly, she looked adorable. And I only point this out because it's so important. If she hadn't stood there on that corner and looked up with those large brown eyes that were just a little bit too close together, Romulus would probably have never done the stupid thing he did. In between breaths, while he was looking down at the newsprint to announce the next line of bad news, he saw Jane peering up at him. She smiled, a very tiny smile, and her eyebrows wrinkled and she asked, ''Isn't there any good news in the world today, Mr Newsboy?'' Perhaps it was all his friends had gone to war and he'd had to stay behind since he was the only one that could read. Or maybe it was the chill of standing on a newsstand all day, but as I said, I believe it was because Jane herself was so perfectly dishevelled that Romulus paused. He read the next line of print without really seeing it, and when he went to announce the line, what came out in his great booming voice was, Cotton candy cart tomorrow, all day, no charge. Jane, her eyebrows now unwrinkled and quite high on her forehead, gasped and grinned. Romulus felt very bad just then because, even though it was nice to see a smile, he knew that tomorrow she'd be even sadder for it. But he couldn't undo what he'd done and she was happy now, so he left the line hanging in the air. She stood up on her tiptoes, extending a slightly wilted white daisy up to Romulus, her whole body pointed and straight in the effort of reaching something that was entirely beyond her reach. For his part, Romulus knelt down and took the flower, and gave her a sad smile, and watched her run back across the street. And even though he had another line of news, it was sad, so he called it quits for the day and went home. He put the daisy in a jar of water and ate his cake from the bakery, yes, the bakery, not the cakery, and went to sleep. The next day, Romulus shouted the bad news and tried very hard not to notice that Jane was aflutter with expectations on the corner across the way. This was difficult because it seemed the rest of the town was all so buzzing about the good news, and Romulus was a bit worried that when the cotton candy never came, he'd lose all credibility. But then a very unexpected thing happened. Well, truthfully, everyone was expecting it, just not the newsboy. The candy maker came dragging a hand cart down the cobbled way. He parked it right next to the newsstand, and when he pulled the yellow and red striped tarp away, there in the cart was a cloud of pink cotton candy. He set to the task of distributing it all away, and every person in town stopped by for a taste, and since everyone was nice and took no more than they could stand without getting a bellyache, there was enough in the cart for everyone to have some. Jane first and Romulus last. When the day was done, the candy maker packed away his cart and mentioned to Romulus quite casually that the next time it was free cotton candy day, he hoped someone would warn him in advance. When he'd gone, in his place stood Jane, her basket all sold except for one crumpled bluebell. Yesterday she'd seemed quite sweet in a sad sort of way. But the day was even worse with her beaming smile, pink sugar in a film from cheekbone to chin. Poor Romulus really didn't stand a chance when she looked up at him and asked, Mr Newsboy, have you gotten all the bad news out? Is it time for the good yet? Now Romulus knew he'd learned his lesson. He'd lucked out with the gullible candy maker and he most certainly wasn't going to risk a second false line. He read the newsprint and in his great voice called out, Tomorrow's battle's cancelled for International Jelly Toast Day! Which wasn't what the newsprint read at all. In fact, the newsprint very sullenly pointed out that the primary forces would arrive shortly and he'd be up to his newsstand in bayonets in two days' time. Romulus grimaced, pressed his stupid lying lips tight together, ventured a glance down at Jane. Jane, of course, was about to burst. Oh, I didn't know tomorrow was a holiday. We haven't had a proper holiday since before Christmas was cancelled last year. That's, 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 that's... Incredible, Romulus supplied. Yes! Perhaps no one else had noticed. Romulus dared a quick look-see and found to his chagrin that absolutely everyone had heard. Even it seemed to the old deaf hound that spent his afternoons begging for scraps from the taxidermist three doors down when Romulus shoulders hunched turned his face down to hide behind his newsprint, he noticed that Jane was extending the last purple bluebell his way. He probably shouldn't have accepted it since it was earned on falsehoods, but he was eager to be home and out of everyone's immediate gaze so he took it and hurried off to bolt his door and leave the bluebell in the jar with the daisy. The next day the newsprint warned Romulus that the sound of cannons from the west would likely be audible in town as early as brunch, even downtown where his newsstand creaked in the cold wind. He ought to have led with that line really to clear the air and prepare everyone, But it was so awful, and little Jane, who seemed to have washed her browned apron for the holiday, was positively vibrating with excitement. So he started with the glum news about the town's dart team, the Verdant Rams, losing to their long-time rivals, the Cyan Hearts. And in that sliver of time just past breakfast but not yet brunch, the baker started stacking baskets of sliced bread on the tables outside his shop window. Thin sliced, thick sliced, rye, wheat, sun bleached white, cinnamon swirl, pumpkin, squash, and potato bread, all lightly toasted on each side. Romulus forgot about shouting the news as he watched three carts loaded with clinking glass jars amble up the intersection from the north east and south, respectively. The first was proper jelly distilled by the jaminator. The second was jam from the marmitea. The third was a veritable rainbow of preserves from the ladies of the Scarlet Hat Society. The crowd gathered, jellied toast was had by all. But something unexpected happened, or perhaps you at least are expecting it, From the West End Road came soldiers in trickling clusters of threes and fours and then raucous bands of tens and twenties. And there was in fact enough toast for everyone to have a bit without becoming greedy and eating too many carbs. By now, for the first time in 3,291 days, Romulus had forgotten all about the news and was enjoying a spiced pumpkin tea with his toast. Once the tea was gone and the toast was just about run out, though admittedly there was still a great deal of fruit spreads left, a small detachment of soldiers came down the West End Road. But these were not autonomous collective soldiers. They were self-perpetuating autocracy through and through. The carnival grew very quiet, and it seemed the bayonets which had been left on their slings all morning were suddenly at the ready. One of the gnarly-looking antagonists stepped up, chest puffed out and said very clearly, We're here for Jelly Toast Day. Whispers broke out amongst the villagers and there was a bit of a trend. I'll give you a hint, they weren't keen on sharing. Until it was Jane who piped up, tiny voice above the crowd, Well, it is International Jelly Toast Day. The rumble of dissent rippled back on itself, and everyone was eventually certain that it was shameful to break their much-loved, long-standing, recently invented, tradition. The baker, looking a bit pale, pointed out that there wasn't any toast left. So naturally the caker, who'd been waiting the whole time for the baker to run out of bread and was a little bit irritated that it had taken so long into the day rolled out a wheelbarrow of freshly baked, sliced and toasted cakes. Banana, pound, snickerdoodle, strawberry swirl, triple chocolate, the entire cookbook, no doubt. And these things went as you'd expect into the afternoon. Cherry preserves and triple chocolate being a favoured pairing, and the autocracy types seeming less and less gnarly. By the time everyone was full and the mess had been cleared away and the soldiers had begun trickling back to their various encampments outside of town, the sun was nearly gone. Just as Romulus was realising he hadn't read a line of news since the bit about the dart tournament, Jane appeared next to him. She had grape jelly smeared with the skill of a genuine eight-year-old between her eyebrows. She didn't speak this time. Her eyes aglitter. She waited to hear what the good news would be. Romulus nodded, climbed the scaffold. He tried very hard to think of what he might say. He'd completely given up on the newsprint. By now he realised he wouldn't be able to stick to the script. He wanted only this time to be not surprised by his own news. Perhaps another holiday? When he cleared his throat to announce that tomorrow would be Pudding Pie Day, every eye in town was on him. Tomorrow town hosts treaty talks. End of war in sight. The townspeople and the lingering soldiers clapped or cheered, though just a few nodded, knowingly or uncertainly, I'll let you decide. And although Romulus would really have liked to have had pudding pie, He had to admit that it was probably better news this way. Once he'd gotten back at the sidewalk from his scaffold, Jane was waiting for him with a yellow rose that was far too expensive for an eight-year-old to handle and certainly too posh to be a gift for a newsboy. At first, Romulus didn't take it. Not until he saw the florist, the baker, the caker, the taxidermist and the marmiteer all watching, giving him looks of approval. The next day, Romulus had little reason to doubt that the treaty talks would start. It seemed ridiculous, but sometimes life is worthy of ridicule. Still, he was uncertain how it might play out, and he seriously considered staying home. He'd accumulated quite a bit of sick leave, being the only newsboy and working every day for years. But he knew that Jane would probably still show up, and while she wasn't likely to earn the ire of any visiting generals, he'd best be on hand just in case. Right at dawn, he gathered up a number of things he suspected he wouldn't need. The newsprint delivered to his front stoop, his boxed lunch, and, for good measure, the jar with the three flowers. The streets were already packed with villagers, and when they spotted Romulus... The crowd parted to let him pass. But before he could make it to his new stand, he came upon two lines of soldiers, and right in the middle of the street there stood three people. Two generals that looked very unhappy to see each other. And Jane. And it always happens just as he says, she was saying. Oh, here he is now. The autonomous collective general asked, as they both turned to look at him. "'You're the newsboy?' "'This is what passes for a newsboy in this god's forsaken land,' said the autocrat general, the foreigner, although he wasn't really asking. Romulus shrugged. "'It's only news if it comes true.' The autocrat eyed him suspiciously. Romulus cleared his throat, sweating under his collar despite the brisk morning air. "'So, uh do you like bread?' The Collective General asked, What madness is this? Romulus gestured with the hand holding the flower jar. I just thought, we have a nice cakery if you want a slice of butter bread. The autocrat looked from the child, to his rival, to the newsboy, to the flowers. His eyes fixed on the flowers. Romulus tilted his head to one side. Do you like them? Uh, they're for you and he thrust the jar at the general. It was very still in that moment. Then the autocrat general took the flowers in both hands and said very soberly, As our tradition demands, I accept your gift of daisy, bluebell and rose and agree to discuss the terms of your treaty. The collective general said, Really? Romulus said, Really? Jane tried to hide her giggle behind her apron, but did a poor job of it. The autocrat eyed each of them. Of course, I respect that you have researched our customs. Now, tell me more about this butter bread. It took more than a day, six months, two weeks and four days longer than a day, to come up with a treaty that ended the war entirely. And it wasn't one that made everyone happy but it did make everyone equally inconvenienced. And that's really the core of a good compromise, don't you think? Once things were settled, Romulus gave up his spot on the newsstand, adopted the deaf dog three doors down, and opened a halfway house for slightly used, gently worn pets. The school reopened and Jane was able to attend and become the first new newsboy in nearly ten years. Since the war was finally over, the news she shouted was almost entirely, mostly, more or less, good news, except when the verdant rams were playing. There now, isn't that nice? So the moral of the story is, yeah, well, I'm not quite certain. In fact, there probably isn't a very good conclusion to draw from this story, And I should hope you don't start lying to children all over town just because things aren't going your way. And please don't try to solve your problems with food. Though flowers are always a nice gesture. And it never hurts to be nice, even in the harshest times. The end.
0: And we're back. So here's what blew my mind. Are you ready? This was totally a cozy fantasy. You know, like a cozy mystery, the kind written by Agatha Christie or Ellis Peters or Rita Mae Brown. So cozy mysteries are usually kind of British-y set in a small village. They focus on ordinary everyday heroes that are defined by their hobbies or occupations. They're surrounded by colorful eccentrics Violence, suspense, all those things are minimized, and wordplay and humor, they're spotlighted. So the reason this blew my mind is that I never thought of applying those rules and tropes to fantasy before. But now that I think about it, I'm realizing that cozy fantasy is totally a thing. I mean, hello, Diana Wynne-Jones, Terry Pratchett. I have just never put two and two together before. So thank you, Crystal Claxton, for blowing my mind. Feedback, this time, is for episode 355, Flock, by Caspian Gray. Many of the commenters seemed to feel special sympathy for the story's putative bad guy, the giant. Um, Maxilu said, of the three characters, I related to the giant the most. It clearly thought it was being kind and careful. It didn't wreak havoc on the city. It cared for the birds, if not the humans and seemed to think it was giving Jack and Avery a gift of some sort. Perhaps that's why I want to hear from it. To which Albion Moonlight replied, that's an interesting point. I think that the story was supposed to make us think of the pets and animals we cage and the morality of that, and in that way we are supposed to see ourselves as the giant. But as you note, the result of that new seeing is not necessarily to make us realize that we are evil, but for us to realize that the giant may be good, or at least benign. Great conversation, great comments. And thank you to everyone who commented. And, of course, please do drop by and visit the forum and keep the conversation going. And, as always, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Every penny goes to paying our authors and bringing you the best in fantasy fiction, week after week. And so, on behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Graham Dunlop and Rachel Jones... Our wonderful slushers, Arun Jiwa and Sarah Goldman, Our audio engineer, Peter Wood. Our fantastic forum moderators, Talia and Osikat. Thank you for listening. And until next time, this is MK Hobson for Podcastle, leaving you with a quote from E.M. Forster, who could have written some killer cozy fantasy if he had just put his mind to it. Nonsense and beauty have close connection. Hi, this is Tina Connolly from Toasted Cake, reminding you that podcast nominations are now open for the 10th Annual Parsec Awards. Do you have a favorite podcast? What about a favorite episode from last year, a story that really stuck with you, or a roundtable that was particularly insightful? Well, you can bring a little joy into our humdrum lives by nominating your favorites from 2014. You have until May 31st, and the winners will be announced at DragonCon this September in Atlanta. Find all the details at ParsecAwards.com. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.